Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Thursday, May 14, 2020, coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Civil rights organizations are calling for a hate crime investigations into the murder of Ahmaud Arbery. Also, the 911 call from Travis McMichael has been released. And the attorneys for Travis McMichael, one of the two men charged in the death of Arbery, held a news conference today, will show you what they had to say. Conservatives are debating the validity of the charges. Ooh, talking about how crazy did they get last night in a Zoom debate. We also have an interview done with by, by Tamika Mallory with the mother of Breonna Taylor, Tamika Palmer. Also, speaking of that, the governor of Kentucky is calling for uh, a strong investigation into the death of Breonna Taylor. 
in the coronavirus news, Rick Bright, Trump's ousted director of his vaccine agency, warns that the administration has no clue what they're doing, no plan. We'll show you some of his testimony and what needs to be done in the Democratic coronavirus relief bill to release tomorrow. We'll talk to three policy experts with the Poor People's Campaign, plus what schools are doing to protect their students during this pandemic. And of course, crazy ass white people, this time they stopping a brother delivery man from exiting a so-called private road in Oklahoma? What the hell is going on? It's time to bring the funk and roll the mark unfiltered. Let's go. What's going on? 115 civil rights organizations are calling on the Department of Justice to open a full hate crimes investigation into the murder of Ahmaud Arbery, the black man who was shot and killed February 23rd in Brunswick, Georgia. They want this federal uh, uh, investigation to determine whether uh, a, they call it a pattern or practice investigation into the local district attorneys and the Glenn County Police Department for systemic constitutional abuses. Letter was sent to Attorney General William Barr and Assistant Attorney General Dryband. Joining us right now in our panel, Dr. Greg Carr, Chair of the Department of Afro-American Studies, Howard University, Erica Savage-Wilson, host Savage Politics Podcast, and Reese Colbert, Black Women Views. Greg, when you look at this here, first of all, obviously, the Attorney General of Georgia has called for a federal investigation into the DAs. Uh, the governor has appointed a special prosecutor in this case as well. This is, again, more pressure. The question is whether or not the Trump Department of Justice will have the guts to do it because it's interesting how it's falling out. All these white conservatives falling on the line of protecting Travis McMichael and Gregory McMichael as opposed to Ahmaud Arbery. Go ahead. Yes, sir. I think um, politics will determine the calculus. I mean, we know that this happened a couple of months ago over there and that it was external pressure, public outcry, led by the black community, led by, really, yourself and a handful of others once it hit social media, which ground, which made it a groundswell. The Department of So-Called Justice, now under Attorney General Barr, a political operative, is not going to do anything that they're not forced to do. Um, it's important to understand that now you see Republicans in control of the apparatus of the state. When they are in control, they also begin to break down and fracture. When in Oklahoma, for example, the governor just vetoed a budget, both houses of the legislature controlled by Republicans, but the governor vetoed it in part because he wants to go even farther right. You see the same thing happening in other places like Wisconsin. You know, the, the, the Supreme Court controlled by them, state Supreme Court, legislature is controlled by them, but they're willing to take a risk there. What's going to happen in this case, I think, is that the Trump administration is going to try to determine whether or not it will help them politically to go after these two guys. And I, quite frankly, and I know we're going to talk about this a little bit later, um, 
you know, as the, as these as the uh, facts unfold, they have hired some high-powered lawyers in Georgia that might be able to get them off. So you might see an investigation uh, undertaken if the Department of Justice, under this extreme right wing, decides that yeah, it's not going to cost us anything, and ultimately we may issue a finding that we don't see a hate crime or we don't see uh, a pattern in practice. Um, Reese, what we're looking at here in terms of, again, is the pressure. The reality is these three DAs uh, were slow on the job. The first one declined to prosecute them, even though cops said they wanted them to be prosecuted, uh, actually charged. Then you have the second DA who pretty much acted as a defense attorney. The third DA dragged his feet. Then GBI came in. It's abundantly clear you had DAs who were not trying to prosecute. This is why the DOJ should investigate. But there's been no, no evidence <coughs> thus far. And the Trump Department of Justice gives a damn about civil rights at all. That is true. I mean, under the Trump administration, the patterns and practices investigations have all become to a halt. Um, there was even in the earlier session days where they were actually backing off of the um, consent decrees and things like that, that the Obama administration had been working on. So, yeah, we do know that. William Barr's DOJ is all about being Donald Trump's personal henchman rather than actually upholding the rule of law for its citizens. However, I do think that what we're seeing now is we're seeing a lot of pressure from not just these civil rights groups, but Senator Kamala Harris on May 11th sent a letter to the DOJ demanding a pattern and practices investigation and, you know, calling out the DA, calling out the police department. And we know from experience that Kamala Harris is not shy about getting on William Barr's case as well as going to the deputy uh, uh, attorney general and things like that. And so I think that we're starting to see a higher drumbeat that's going to make it a lot harder to ignore. Uh, Erica. Right. And in, in terms of not giving a damn about civil rights, uh, what we do know is that William Barr and his assistant secretary of civil rights do give a damn about civil liberties. Just at the end of April, they, in, uh, they issued a statement of interest uh, to the Commonwealth of Virginia. Uh, the governor here had actually said that folks who are in practicing religious services are not to have more than 10 people in a facility. And so there was a congregation that had about 16 and William Barr and, uh, his assistant secretary did get involved there. So uh, what we have to demand, what Reese has said, what we do have to demand uh, is along with these pressure groups, with the pressure that you put on and other um, people, is to say that they should have the same energy that they have around civil liberties for this hate crime against investigation uh, with the now deceased Ahmaud Arbery. And, and, and again, the reason I think you got, you got to have this constant drumbeat is because... Uh, they need to understand we're not going anywhere. The reality is black people have always had to fight for our rights. This is no different. Uh, there's no, we should not have to be put in this level of public pressure. But when you have three DAs who don't do their job, we have no choice to demand justice. Absolutely. Roland, I mean, again, it can't be overstressed. Uh, what Reese said is right. I mean, when you see Senator Harris, when you see those in the legislature willing to put the fire to bar, and he sits there with that smirk on his face, saying that history is written by the winners. Uh, the toady is absolutely right. It is written by the winners. What he seems to not understand, however, is that the apparatus of the state can bend to the only power that really trumps it, that exceeds it, and that is the power of the people. The simple fact of the matter is this. Kamala Harris can rain natural fire on Bill Barr, and he will sit there with that toady smirk on his face unless and until the rest of us get out in the street. 
as we've said, as you said constantly since this case, since this news broke, it was the video followed by action of people in the street that empowered the policymakers to be able to do something. Barr will not be able to withstand the pressure if enough of us who are outside of the apparatus of the state impose our will on the state. That is really our strategy, it has to be. And we can't forget also, Erica, this is an election year. Yeah, it's a presidential election year, but it is also a year for down-ballot races. We also have uh, a Mike Espy. We have a Jamie Harrison that are looking to take senatorial seats. And in speaking about down-ballot, this is an opportunity for folks to pay attention to those races that are impacting them as we see it right now, their local DAs, looking to see who their solicitor general is. And so I hope that this is an opportunity um, as uh, Dr. Carr said, when this is how it's always been for us, right, that we actually uh, take this moment and engage in a much different and in a much stronger way so that the fragment of democracy that we do have, that we're able to retain that and build from there. Reese? Yeah, and also there are two open Senate races or Senate seats in Georgia. So black folks, if you are down in Georgia and you are pissed off as hell about Ahmaud Arbery's killing, you can do something about bringing more people to Congress to put pressure on the DOJ. Hopefully we'll have a Democratic uh, administration, but just because it's a Democratic administration doesn't automatically mean that there will be action on things like this. And so this is opportunity to, to think about all those races, as Erica said, the down-ballot races, but also the two very, very critical Senate races that will be coming up. Absolutely. Now, folks, audio from the 9-11 call, Travis Michael made a two. Police has been released. Here it is. What's going on? We got a, uh, we've had a string of burglaries. Um, I was leaving the neighborhood and I just caught a guy running into a um, house being built two houses down from me. Um, when I turned around, he took off running into the house. Okay. What did he look like? Uh, it's a black male, red shirt, white shorts. And you said the house is being built? It's being built. Yes, ma'am. It's vacant right now. He is in the house. What's your name and phone number, sir? Travis McMichael. All right. Where are you at now? I am sitting right across the street in my truck, watching the house. Watching the house with it right now, right here at the okay. Children's What kind of truck are you in? Red Ford F-150. Okay. You okay? Yeah, yeah. When I, it just startled me. Um, when I turned around, when I turned around and saw him, and backed up, he reached into his pocket and ran into the house. So I don't know if he's armed or not, um, but he looked like he was acting like he was. So, uh, you know, be mindful of that. Okay. Which pocket did he reach into? Uh, left, I believe. Okay. And now, so... Possibly. How many houses down is it from yours? It's two towards the highway. 
He's got, I guess he doesn't realize we're here. He's got lights on right now. He's got a flashlight looking through the house. Does he? Okay. You just stay where you're at so that the officers will know. Will do. Okay. And I'll stay on the line with you until they get there, just in case anything changes. Roger that. So you said he was a black male. Did he have hair on his head? Any other features you can tell me about? I couldn't tell. Okay. Uh, he, he just looked like short hair. Okay. Was he tall, short? Yeah, he was taller, probably about six foot. Okay. There's the neighbors, I guess it's one of the other neighbors saw it. Um, there's about four of us over here around it right now. Okay. And now keep in mind, that was not the 911 call that was tied to Amont Arbery. That was tied to uh, uh, several days previously. Uh, that, that's why he said, oh, someone was sitting here showing, uh, someone showing, had a flashlight, whatever. The event that took place at Amont Arbery took place in the daytime. And so just, uh, just, under, just understand that distinction. Now, again, today, uh, his attorneys held a news conference uh, where they made it clear that People should say that Travis McMichael and Gregory McMichael are innocent until proven guilty. Here is some of that news conference. In some countries, when the government accuses you of a crime, you have a show trial. You get convicted and you get sent to prison. Or even worse, you disappear altogether. But we understand here that when the government accuses you of a crime, how easy it is to accuse. And so we have that presumption of innocence. And we have that due process of law with rights for every individual accused of a crime. We need to be mindful of those rights that are embedded in the very fabric of our society, that are promises made by our Constitution, a document we hold up to other countries as an example of how government should function. And so I implore all of you, members of the media, reporters, journalists, commentators, and the listeners and readers that follow your, your lead. Don't rush to judgment. Our evidence in a court of law, whether it's in Glenn County or someplace else, the government will have an opportunity to present its evidence in a court of law. And then, and only then, then you can judge. Our cases, the tragedies associated with these cases. Mr. Arbery's death is a tragedy. As attorneys who are stepping into this case, we feel an immense responsibility to be respectful, to be ethical, to be conscientious, 
to have a commitment to the truth. And we are going to shoulder the responsibility of that commitment to the truth and to those core values that we as attorneys hold dear to ourselves and our profession. That is our promise to you all. That is our promise to the community here in Brunswick, to the families, and to the individuals. You know, it's amazing to listen to them, um, Erica, talk about presumption of innocence, no rush to judgment, yet their clients rush to judgment, accusing Ahmaud Arbery of theft, chased after him with guns. He's dead. They're still alive. G-T-F-O-H. <laughs> the execution, the lynching of Ahmaud Arbery, that blood is not going away. And for other people to understand that are following this case and um, to see that um, whether or not Travis is going to have bond, whether uh, the other Klansman, I don't recall his name, is going to have bond, this is a long road ahead. They have already had private Facebook groups, many of which that have been dismantled, um, GoFundMe pays, many of those that have been taken down. So we're just going we're going to have to play the long game because the other piece of this is whether or not that case is tried in Glen County, Atlanta or somewhere else that we're going to have to look to see what that jury is comprised of. If that jury is not reflective of the now deceased Ahmad Aubrey and his family and the rising majority of America, then we've got some real serious outcomes to um, be concerned about. And this is also why people need to be registered to vote so that they can sit on those juries for cases like this. And so as we listen to these attorneys bring out the diversity piece, um, talk about other countries in this United States of America since 1704, slave patrols have been the order of law. And so us wanting to see change means that we have to be very active, that we have to, number one, ensure that we are engaged, not just in the short term, not just for hashtags, not just for runs, but for however long this case plays out. But then also make sure that we are doing what we can to make sure that, number one, Travis and his father don't get uh, bond. If that means sending out um, emails, uh, calling the DA's office, but then also ensuring that we are registered voters so that when cases like this unfortunately continue to come up, that we can be on those juries and make sure that justice is, um, is served. Um, Reese, again, listen to those attorneys. Look, I get it. I mean, he's your client, but... Uh... What y'all are asking for, they didn't do to Mr. Arbery. I mean, frankly, I listened to that and I just thought, ain't that about a bitch? How, did, how dare you sit up there and talk about the presumption of innocence? How dare you wave around the Constitution after you executed a black man who was minding his damn business, who was jogging and not doing anything to anybody? It's actually sickening to hear. And they probably really believe that shit. And that's what's even more infuriating. As far as Gregory McMichael goes, when you listen to these 911 tapes and this like that, all that is is establishing a pre-alibi. It's establishing a pretext to go and conduct a, an execution like what they did to Ahmaud Arbery. And, you know, I, I looked into their background a little bit more, and I, I hope you don't mind that I'm reading this, um, Roland, but Gregory McMichael um, actually had a lapse in state-mandated tra training for things like community-oriented policing, de-escalation, use of force. And that was between 2006 and 2004, where that meant he was not empowered by even though he was a chief investigator for the DA's office, to issue arrests. And so it's it's so ironic that a person who for eight years had this power suspended 
from him because he did not have the proper training or he disregarded the, the mandate to have that proper training, turn around and took it upon himself to make what he called a citizen's arrest. But what it really is, is like, like uh, Erica said, it's a lynching. It's a slave patrol. It's disgusting. And I, 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 this whole, you know, high ground and, and, and trying to appeal to, to people on the basis of constitution and, and presumption of innocence, it's all bullshit. Greg. Well, brother, I, I share Reese's uh, righteous indignation, and I think Erica has nailed it. Um, first of all, yes, they may have taken down the GoFundMes and tried to blunt it on social media, but when you hire Peters, Reuben, Sheffield, and Hodges out of Atlanta, you've got some money. So the first thing we see is hold on, that hold on, hold on. you have some money or it's some money behind you. I'm sorry, brother. Right. Let me let me amend uh, what I said to say what you said. Somebody is giving them money to hire these high-powered lawyers. These ain't country lawyers. No. The first guy, Bob Rubin. Because these two Bob ain't got Rubin, no money. No question. That's number one. So we now see that, as you say, the Klan then, then, then rallied around its own because they done paid that retainer fee. And Rubin, Bob Rubin, the first one, the first guy who spoke, uh, Rubin was the lead lawyer in, uh, I'm sure you remember, I know you covered it, uh, the, uh, the Atlanta Public Schools, the RICO prosecution of those black principals in Atlanta for that test cheating scandal. Uh, Rubin came out of Emory. Uh, he spent time uh, for the uh, working with Fulton County as a public defender, then worked with the state as a, an assistant attorney general for the state, prosecuting Medicare fraud. So this guy has a deep training. His friend, Sheffield, since 2015, Sheffield, the second lawyer who spoke, he's been traveling overseas with Rubin and one of the other lawyers to train uh, new lawyers in the Republic of Georgia that just broke from the Soviet Union on how to select juries. So what um, what Erica said is very important. The first thing we're going to have to find out is whether they're going to change the venue from Glenn County. And they're going to fight like hell, I suspect, to keep the venue there. Then you're going to get into jury selection. These aren't country lawyers. They've been doing jury selection. They go overseas to teach other countries, lawyers in other countries, how to select a jury. They are going to introduce, finally, and if Scott was here, he'd say the same thing, they're going to introduce a real blizzard to talk about reasonable doubt. When we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, releasing that video galvanized our community, but it was necessarily something that damned them. Now you release this report, this 911 call, to let to be to make basically establish that these uh, these police adjacent vigilantes, because they ain't just out there. These guys used to be cops, so they were affiliated with with uh, criminal justice system. They're out there basically serving as a neighborhood watch. All you got to do is seat the right jury, introduce enough of a snowstorm to get them to introduce reasonable doubt, and these guys walk. And they got the right firm in Peters, Rubin, Sheffield, and Hodges, brother, I'm afraid. Now, what's interesting about this is that a lot of people, I mean, this is, this is, probably, this is arguably the one story like this where even a lot of white folks have been commenting on social media what happened to him was wrong. Eric Erickson, big-time conservative, uh, far-right there in Georgia, uh, was going, y'all could try to explain this all the way. That man did not deserve to die. I don't recall uh, previous cases where you, where you saw that, but what's interesting about this is that, for the most part, you got these white conservatives lining up behind the McMichaels, but you got a few black folks who've done that. Well, last night... A group of uh, a group of these these Blexit black and black conservatives or called themselves black conservatives had a Zoom debate. Let's just say it got a little crazy, a little heated. You get this dude Brandon Tatum, former cop, thinking like a cop, 
not thinking like a black cop, uh, who has put out videos, and his was very interesting. Here's a guy who puts a video out trying to offer the facts of the Aubrey case. It's almost gotten two million views in only uh, a handful of days. Trust me, those are not black people who are watching that video. Well, things got a little rough in this Zoom conversation. Uh, here is an excerpt. Question from Brandon. I just, I personally, I came on here for this question. Brandon, I've spoken to you before. Um, yep. I, I think yep. you're a great guy, and this is why I'm concerned about what's going on now. I mean, I think you know that a lot of us, for example, in other cases that, of course, other black people have definitely pushed back on when we, we talk about it. For example, when people were uh, kneeling during the football games, I didn't think that was right. And I was very vocal about that, that I'm proud of my, my flag and proud of America. Um, but there are certain cases that are so clear cut, like, for example, Philando Castile, most people... Well, even if they go back later and look at it, know that it was a very clear-cut case and it was wrong. And then looking here in this issue, I, I mean, don't agree. You said you don't agree. That it's so clear-cut that you it's something that we can bring out and no. say, as in unison, you know what? This is when it's wrong because what we get all the time is people saying that we never talk about racism when it actually exists. We this talk is about racism. Like racism is everywhere. And I personally will say, and I will say that over and over again, I will call out people who make everything about race because that's not true. But it's also not true when it is very obvious when something is maybe, is maybe you know, you know what? Not even on this case, if it's not even about race, right? If it were a white, if Arbery were a white man and I saw that video, I would be just as horrified because that man did not deserve to die. Period. And nobody said he did, though. I don't know. I'll give you $1,000 if you see anybody that said right. that man deserved But you know what you usually do when you know that something is wrong? You stand up for the person who was the victim. And that's the problem Laquan that we're not, seeing, we're not seeing. Laquan we're not McDonald. Seeing you. Did you make a video about Laquan McDonald? Did you make a video about Laquan McDonald? We're not seeing you in this case. No, no, no. Did, you, did, you, no. Okay, did you make a video about Laquan Can McDonald? Can I finish what I'm saying? I'm saying. No, you're, just, you're just making up no. stuff. No, how am I making up stuff? I made a video about Laquan McDonald's death at the hands of a police officer that shot him 12 times. Clearly, it was wrong. I made a whole video about how that was wrong. Okay, can we go how, back how to am I not How am I not defending Can I finish my statement on the Arbery to Brandon? I'm just saying, in this case, it seems that it, what it looks like is that you're going out of your way for people who are trying to be compassionate to really... I mean, we're always the ones who are going oh, let's wait for the facts to come out, okay? And that is why a lot of people feel like we're heartless. But in situations where it's so clear-cut, three months after the fact it happened, that you continue to say, let's look at the facts, and the facts are coming out hour after hour in the media, and it's been it's been actually justified by the Georgia Bureau. It's not justified. Why is why Probable don't we talk call. about the facts in that sense just as much as you talk about the facts in other sense? Look, it's, it's, it's irrelevant. It is it's ironic. Irrelevant. It is it's ironic. Irrelevant. No, it's not. It's ironic that all of these cases that we see, people are involved in criminal activity. It's never. Okay. He said. He said it's never okay. a case where a person is just am doing nothing is just gunned down. All these people okay. have an extensive why, criminal history. Why is that history. important? Why is that important? Do you not think it? Do you not think that's strange? So no. Luther, just because Luther, you 
Was just because down. you were, had a criminal past doesn't mean that you deserve to lose your life. It's funny, or, it's funny, or, it's funny because that is relevant in the case that's at play. You know, I, here's the thing, here's the thing. I gotta go. They're quick, they're quick to run and grab that talking point of Biden and Hillary Clinton, you know, uh, you and, fake, created you the, um, you know, they created I'm gone, the crime man. bill. They created you, you the, the crime bill. You the fakest nigga I ever seen in my they life. They created the crime they, bill. I see you well, in person. They created the crime bill. They created what you said created, to me. Oh, they created. They created. I'm done, bro. You a fake gentlemen, nigga. Gentlemen, I hope everybody I, see I that. I appreciate it. Fake, bro. I'm going to expose you to I everybody. everybody. When I see you, nigga, we gonna be, it's, it's going to be on. I want you to know that. When you, because when, you call me on the phone, and you saying all this, and then you get on the live stream, and you playing this shit. You, you, you should be ashamed of yourself. Is that, is that black, is that black on black crime? Is, is that you's black on black You's a bitch. I called you. Everybody on your live stream know you's a bitch. And when I see you, I'm whooping your ass. Everybody got your live stream. I like it. You want to be hood, nigga? You want to be hood? You on the phone talking shit to me? And you called me and said you apologize? Yeah, nigga. I never apologize. You apologize? I never apologize. You apologize. My wife listened to you, nigga. I never apologize. What I said cool. was, what I said, what I said was, bitch, nigga. what I said. Let's, let's wrap this up. So the brother you heard who was cussing another brother out, that's Brandon Tatum. Very close with Candace <laughs> Owens. Used to work with Turning Point USA and Charlie Kirk. Frequent visitor to the White House. Loves himself some Donald Trump. And that's how they were talking amongst black conservatives. See, was, and so what happened is the brother who was in the top corner, I think he'd go by Hotep Jesus. Okay. He, that's, that's what he goes by. So he basically was saying, Brandon, why y'all always, why y'all paired in white conservatives? How is it that you're giving them the talking points? And see, that's really what we're seeing a lot of Reese. You got these people who are Trump supporters, like a Tatum. Candace Owens came out of Twitter jail, just blasting away, basically saying, y'all don't say nothing about black-on-black violence. Y'all don't care about black people. Now y'all are mad. She was the first one trying to say uh, Ahmaud Arbery was out there thieving. And trust me, the white conservatives are sitting there loving it. See, if you want to know how to game, just go to, Brand- just go to Brandon's uh, YouTube channel. His videos, they show you, you'll see... Giving that money, giving that money, giving that money. And that's what I'm trying to explain to people when we expose these folks for who they are. Okay, I know a whole bunch of black conservatives who are third and fourth and fifth generation black Republicans. These Mm -hmm. folks are Trump grifters. Not 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 not, not everybody in that video, but folks like Brandon Tatum. That's what you're dealing with. Folks like him. What you're dealing with is that they, they, they have come of age in this Trump. You got Lawrence Jones up there. You see him running his mouth on Fox News. Uh, he be saying some nonsense as well. Uh, the sister we tried to okay for, we invited her on the show. Uh, we, we couldn't reach her. But the bottom line is this here. I've had a different people on here, like this dude, uh, R.C. Maxwell, whatever the hell his name is, you know, uh, out there, his usual, oh, they nonsense. Is you call it what it is, and they're the ones who are claiming, oh, they're leading black people out of the Democratic Party. Well, if you following uh, a fool like Brandon Tatum, uh, you can be fu- going over a cliff. Right. I mean, I don't know any of these people, to be frank with you. I've never heard of them. I don't know them. 
Um, but I don't like what I see from from that clip. And I watched um, some of their discussion. I was disgusted watching it. My husband has a saying. He says that some black people, I'm going to put the sum in front of it, but some black people are the foot soldiers of white supremacy. And that's what these Trump conservative grifters are. When you perpetuate these uh, stereotypes, when you sit up there and, and regurgitate these talking points to try to criminalize an innocent black man who was doing absolutely nothing wrong, it's disgusting. And the way that Brandon turned up in that video, there are white folks that were shooting his ass for doing that much, okay? And so, you know, they want to pair these things about, oh, you have to, you know, conduct yourself a certain way. And look how he was turning up and N-word this and N-word that. You know, I mean, it's ridiculous. If he had come across some of these white folks that they're defending, his ass would be shot dead, just like all these other black people that they have absolutely no compassion for who did far less than what he did in that video. You put your head down, Greg. <laughs> Brother. That's three minutes of my life I'm not going to get back. Mm. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Daniel Dresner wrote a book a couple of years ago called The Ideas Industry. And he talks about how over the last generation or so, what we've shifted from is the idea of public intellectuals. On the white side, you might think of a Daniel Patrick Moynihan. On the black side, you might think of a Y.T. Walker or a Pauli Murray or a Dorothy Cotton or you know, you name it, well, Ron Walters, people who are informing in uh, informing policymakers or in terms of social movements, let's expend it to an Ella Jo Baker or a Septima Clark, in, in informing social movements. He says we've shifted from that to what they call thought leaders. Well, that's not th that meaning people who generate clicks, clickbait generators, eyeball attractors. They're not really impacting policy if they're unattached to institutions. So now you see people like uh, the whole Fox uh, network crew, Sean Hannity, thought leader, meaning what? He is supported and subsidized by a media institution that allows him to spew his nonsense. And then people do act on that, including at this point, the president of the United States. What we just witnessed is the convergence of the thought leader move in our society with the explosion of, of uh, social media. Um, the reason we don't know any of these people or that you, the reason you keep track of them because you have to, you're helping us filter this stuff. But for those of us who would never watch something like that, first of all, anybody calling themselves Hotep Jesus or Uncle Hotep has opened their mouth, as my mom would say, and put their brain on display. I would, I would brand, no, I wouldn't do that because the word Hotep, I said I was going to say I would brand the glyph in their forehead, but the word Hotep in the Metanetra in Egyptian hieroglyphs literally means peace. So I should probably back off of that. But my point is that you've got people now and a mind, remember that UNCF commercial back in the 70s, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. A mind is a terrible thing to underdevelop because now everybody with a phone or a laptop can get on social media. Anybody who wants to talk can talk. These are not thought leaders. These are people generating clicks for clickbait, nor are they conservatives. They are branders. And so finally, what you started with is all we need to know about that conversation. It's very basic. This is about money. This is about watching them. This is about generating revenue. None of them have anything to say about anything that's going to either A, impact policy, or B, change the minds of anyone who will take a minute to reflect, to organize, to study, and to act in an informed manner. So, that was a sideshow better for WWF wrestling. That's why he's talking about beating somebody's ass, which he ain't going to do. So here's why I showed that, Erica. Because, again, these are the people... Fox News elevates. Mm -hmm. uh, see, I, see I, I just need people to understand right. the, what the whole design is. 
Okay? Mm-hmm. Fox Nation. Now, they just dropped them. In no logical world would a TV executive give Diamond and Silk a show. <clears throat> it's, a min- it's a minstrel show. That's yeah, absolutely. But what oh, do they? Yeah, but, 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 but what do they set up? You take a Candace Owens who used it, who worked with the NAACP to get a settlement from a school district. TPUSA hires her. She's now in PragerU. Trump had Trump has her the White House. Million followers. All these stories done on her. All like this this great mass movement leader of black people away from the Democratic Party. All, but who is elevating her? That's right. Is there anything between those two ears? No. There's a reason why she will not debate me, been running for a whole year. But she'll <laughs> challenge John Legend and Don Cheeto, people like that. And there are people out there who say, Roland, but, but we should ignore them. Mm, this is why you, that's not that simple. Mm-hmm. Because you have to understand how they are strategically used to serve different interests. Mm-hmm. Trump does the exact same thing. That crazy, ignorant comedian, I don't know what, he ain't even funny, Terrence Williams, same thing. You got to understand, to Greg's point, the minstrel show and the grifter show. You got to understand how they play this whole game and how they then elevate, oh, these are the black people we should be listening to. So therefore, how they prop them up, they do their books and their speeches, and then I think it keeps going on and on and on. That's why, that's why you have a Larry Elder who will write a book called Stupid Black Men. Yes. He ain't trying to talk to black people. He's right. talking to white people. He's mm-hmm. talking to white conservatives. Mm-hmm. And that's the game that you see being played. And that's why we call it out so folks understand. And let me be clear. There are black conservatives we have on this show who are real, who, who do care about the black community. We might differ on some policy issues. We might agree on some policy issues. There's a long history of black people being Republicans, okay? You could talk about Jackie Robinson. You could talk about uh, any, any number of people. You can talk about uh, uh, folks who served in, uh, in Republican administrations. Bob Brown, who, who accompanied Coretta Scott King to pick up Dr. King's body. Uh, Come on. Who was on the board of the SCLC. Goes from That's there right. to getting hired by Richard Nixon and who played a crucial role in terms of driving things for black people. Just because he worked for Nixon didn't make him bad. So that happened. There are black people who work in different administrations who've done that. Alfonso Jackson, Secretary of HUD under George W. Bush. I know Alfonso well. Again, we might differ on some issues, but agree on some other issues. These folks, the Brandon Tatums of the world, <laughs> the Candace Owens of the world, they can't even step in the same room with those black Republicans. It's understanding the game, Erica. Absolutely, Roland, and you laid it out. What's being presented for the public is information. And what they have yet to find out is that acquiescence to whiteness is not protection. It does not preclude any of the injustices that we have seen for years and years from happening to them. And since we're dropping gems, I'll drop something that my late big mama said to us, which is when you open your mouth, you remove all doubt. And so for Brandon Tatum, the moment I had to click off is when he began to invoke the name of uh, George Zimmerman and O.J. Simpson and then go on to, as you shared in that clip, talk about the people that have been victims of criminal activity by the people that uh, executed, lynched them, that they had 
uh, criminal background. You're talking about a black man, a person that uh, uh, is, is black, um, that is a former law enforcement officer. Uh, I'm very concerned about what his history was when he was on the police force with the type of aggression that we saw in that video with a muscle tight shirt on with the face of Donald Trump. So we do have to look at the minstrel show. We do have to have this type of information so that we can be even more engaged um, in understanding grifters and knowing that all of our skin folk damn sure ain't our kin folk. And let's talk about another case, the Breonna Taylor case. Black woman shot and killed in Louisville. These are the photos of the three officers who were involved in that shooting. Go to my iPad, please. Okay, uh, Detective uh, Brett Hankinson, Detective Miles Cosgrove, Sergeant Jonathan Madley on desk duty will still have their jobs. Now, in a moment, I'm going to play the actual interview that Tamika Mallory did with uh, Brianna's mother. But, but I want to talk to our panel about this here because this is what I find to be real interesting. And that is her boyfriend had a license to carry his gun. The cops break into the apartment. No knock warrant, Reese. They bust through. He grabs his gun, thinking home invasion, intruders. Fires at the cops. 20 bullets are fired back. Kills Brianna, EMT worker. Boyfriend charged with attempted murder. Do any of y'all... Have any of y'all seen the National Rifle Association? Dana Lash, big time Second Amendment. Grant Stinchfield had this show on NRA TV. The black dude from Dallas, Colin Orr. Oh, big time gun person. Reese, have you heard any of them coming to the defense of Kevin, the boyfriend? <laughs> No, I, 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 I thought I thought that Just, they were all about gun protecting gun rights and gun owners. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, did they say anything when Philando Castile was gunned down and he was a light registered to carry and he was actually reaching for his his permit um, to 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 show the officers? Of course not. I mean, black people don't have the the Second Amendment doesn't apply to black people, and when it comes to the NRA. And interestingly enough, we had a we had a similar case in Prince George's County where the cops came to the wrong house and you know they got fired on by the the owner or by the by the person who you know lived there and there were no charges or anything of the sort because the cops were in the wrong in that situation this is nothing but retaliation it's nothing but you know an, an, a, a grievous injustice and trying to deflect away from the fact that the cops killed an innocent woman who they did not have a warrant for, who was not involved in any kind of criminal activity. They found no drugs in her place. But I, one thing I do want to get away from is how we try to paint people as the perfect victim, when the reality is, even if there were drugs, the same thing, even if Ahmaud Arbery was stealing something, that does not give anybody the right to execute them. It's a lynching, yeah. and this is nothing more than trying to intimidate the boyfriend, just like I believe Philando Castile's um, girlfriend was, you know, handcuffed and all the other kind of stuff. We always see where they try to intimidate the witnesses to these illegal killings. Yes. Again, I'm I'm sitting here like like friends. Uh, go to my iPad, please. I see this little tweet they sent out. 
May 6th. After a scary experience, she learned to sew and launches a custom holster business from her dorm room. Read Nikita's inspiring story here. So they got a photo of his sister uh, all on their page, you know, emphasizing that. And if I scroll down, I'm looking and I'm, I'm, I'm look at this here. 1.8 million guns sold. Second straight month of historic gun sales. 71% up from last year. You're seeing all these... I don't see nothing about the brother in Kentucky, NRA. It's amazing how quiet they are, Greg. Well, I mean, because the NRA is a perfect marriage of white nationalism and corporate elites. Um, those, those sales are going through the roof because people are arming themselves, some of them perhaps in rural Michigan or Wisconsin or in South Dakota, for the coming race war they've been fantasizing about in their movies and in their literature that they circulate in their little claverns. Uh, in the case of Kenneth Walker, all I can say is that uh, two things. I wish Breonna Taylor were alive, and I wish that night that Kenneth Walker had been able to neutralize the threat posited by the uh, cowardly Louisville Patterollers acting under the cover of their deceit by not having uh, body cameras, uh, if they had body cameras and Kenneth Walker had been able to neutralize the threat, there would be two dead uh, Louisville cops and he'd be charged with killing the police. Uh, as it stands, uh, what we see is what we've always seen. Again, I just referenced our ancestor Ida Wells again, who said that a Winchester rifle should occupy a place of honor above the hearth of every home, of every Negro home, writing in the 1890s, where she talks about lynch law and all its phases. Uh, this isn't going to stop until we stop it. Uh, Ken right. Walker did his best to stop it that night. Uh, his partner paid for it with her life, and unfortunately, he wasn't either. He wasn't able to wound and or kill these two patterollers who not only invaded their home but shot up an apartment complex. And thank God they didn't kill anybody else. Uh, there is no justice in this godforsaken set the state, except that we give it to ourselves. And this should wake everybody up to run these people out of elective office. That's just one strategy to arm ourselves. Another strategy. Now, I'll end with this. Uh, while people are, while we're looking and trying to survive and our essential workers like Brianna is, are out there trying to live, Mitch McConnell and his, uh, in the Senate he controls, passed legislation today, uh, reauthorization of the Patriot Act that allows mm. you, allows the federal government to go into your web browser and look through your search history without your consent. This place yeah. is getting closer and closer to the place it is. The mask is falling off. And this is just another example of that happening. Yes. And, and the reason I'm raising this, people, because, again, it's important for us to show the hypocrisy that exists when it comes to these folks. Why is that? Because they stay, they'll stand there. They will celebrate these fools walking around with their submachine guns, so walk around with their heavy artillery. I, they had a photo the other day. This fool had an anti-tank missile launcher on his back. How many damn tanks your ass running into in your neighborhood? That's how crazy these people are. Yet when a black man with a license for a gun protects his home and shoots, and these cops... No, not warrant, so you don't know who's coming to the door. Now he's facing attempted murder charges, and all of these people who run their mouths about the Second Amendment say nothing because they're all about protecting police. Mm -hmm. If they're right or wrong, it doesn't matter. Just like they said nothing and did not stand up when John Crawford III was gunned mm -hmm. down in a Walmart in Ohio 
holding an air gun, an air mm. gun that was sold at that Walmart. But they tell us they can all carry their weapons. Go ahead with your final comment. Sure. And you're talking about these same clans, folks, that are out making, essentially, state governments to open up. And I don't know how many more times or how many different ways it has to be said or has to be seen that black life is not valued. Um, you know, allies and, you know, diversity, inclusion, all of these different effects to help make a group that will not and does not feel like they have to accept, because as long as whiteness is an authority, as long as it is believed to be primary and truthful, as long as that is held true um, by this nation state and people actually take that on to be their truth as well, then things will continue to run business as usual. And so what folks need to wake up and see is that uh, black life definitely is not valued um, and that this gentleman, Kenneth Walker, still has to grieve the death of Breonna Taylor. Now we're also talking about trauma that has been inflicted upon this family, upon uh, amongst all of us that have again had to ingest another injustice by the state. And so um, I said on this show on last Thursday, my Mother's Day gift was a 380. Listen, it's, it's not a game. And I hope that people even realize that during this crisis, that though it is a heightened time and that the health disparities amongst our community are definitely um, high, it is also um, a time for us to begin to look at ways with which that we can preserve our life and go ahead and step forward to ensure that we're not only protecting ourselves, but our, our communities. And uh, Dr. Carr did line out some of those strategies. And I hope that people take that to heart because it is not going to happen uh, just by social media campaign, just by saying we're disgusted, just by... Um, uh, posting a hashtag. It is going to take real energy, real effort, and real action. All right, folks. Uh, again, the mother of Brianna Taylor, uh, she sat down did in an Instagram live interview uh, with uh, activist Tamika Mallory. Uh, the interview took place with Tamika Palmer. Here's an excerpt of their interview. I think all of the folks who are, are tuning in tonight want to share our condolences with you, um, really from a deep, deep place and also commit to you that we will fight alongside you, behind you, on your sides, um, and really be there to hold you up throughout this entire journey. So um, thank you again for being with me. Thank you. I'm so grateful and appreciative to have people standing up, to have people being here now, because it was lonely. It felt like nobody cared. Yeah. Yeah, I can only imagine. It's been a while. I mean, to know that this happened to your daughter March 13th, is yes. that correct? Yes. March 13th, and here we are, all of these months, um, we should have been on it. And because we didn't know, which is what the system will often do, uh, you know, the system will often find ways to suppress families' voices, uh, but we do care, and we're you know, uh, uh, humbled to be able to support you at this point. Why don't you tell us a little bit about, first of all, your feelings, just where you are at this point, your family, how your family members are doing, and tell us a little bit about Brianna. Um, just as far as where we at, we're just, we're just here. We're maintaining, we're dealing. Um, we're lost to not have answers, to not know 
to not understand, to... Just to not know what's happening at all. Exactly. Yeah. As far as Brianna, she was... If Brianna was amazing. Every I don't know anybody who didn't love Brianna. You know, she... Um, she just was a very sweet person. She loved family. She loved life. She loved to help people. She um, she had an old soul. I was. She was. Yeah. She just was great. She really was a great person. And all right, again, we certainly uh, appreciate um, what she had to say. All right, folks. Today on Capitol Hill, uh, that was testimony. Rick Bright testified regarding uh, the, the the folks not being prepared for this coronavirus and national testing. Uh, we're going to play some of that in just a second right now, though. I want to be joined by Dr. Georges Benjamin, Executive Director of the American Public Health Association. Dr. Benjamin, real quick here. Bottom line is this here. Uh, I'm good. These I'm good. These, I got time for you. These people are nuts, okay? Uh, General Russell Honoré said, you cannot have a 50-state strategy. You've got to have a national testing strategy. Trump White House don't give it up. They, they do not want any part of this. It, governors, it's all on you. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. you got to have a national strategy. you got to actually have a plan, and you got to stop winging it. And these folks are just winging it each and every day. And that's the problem. And, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost lives. The thing is, uh, what, what I don't understand is and how just I just would operate real quick. That is, a national strategy means, all right, I need to be able to look at the map and go, uh, more tests goes over here, more over here, don't need as much over here, let's shift them over here. If you don't do that, you don't know what the hell is going on. You might have a whole bunch of tests sitting in a state, they don't even need them. Absolutely. And, and in fact, we already know that has happened. We've had states that said, we can't find any tests. And we have other states that say, we got lots of them. So it's already happened. Um, uh, when you looked at the testimony today, uh, what did you make of it? Uh, he did not hold back at all as he laid out the problems. I mean, they, they trust me, the Republicans yeah. were not happy uh, that uh, Rick Bright, this whistleblower, went before the House committee. Well, he's a credible guy. You know, he's, he's worked hard. He's smart. And, um, you know, I think he's just laying out the problems that we've had. We have a dysfunctional system um, and a dysfunctional leadership process. And he just laid it out for him. And I hope people just don't blow it off and think that he's just a disgruntled employee. Even if you're mad, you know, there's credibility in what you have to say. And we're seeing the results of that each and every day. So despite what people think about his testimony, um, he says what he thinks, and I, I bet when they pull back the onion skin, we're going to find about all that is, is true. Um, one of the things that um, also I think uh, is critically important, still, people who are impacted. Uh, Michael Harriet with the, with the Root had this amazing story today about how these, these black women in this place in town in West Virginia were getting no assistance, and they pretty much figured it out on their own. They are not even medical experts, but where they, they showed how all these black people in this one town how they were impacted, got coronavirus at a church, basically learn how to do tracing on their own, and they save mm -hmm. folks in their community. And that's what, I mean, people should not have to be resorting to that. No, no. I mean, you know, the, the, the understanding is out there. Look, we've been doing contact tracing since the early 19th century. So we understand this. There's no reason for people to have to reinvent the wheel and learn it on their own. Um, and we need to get more of them. And look, if you want to get people back to work, 
we know that we need at least 100,000 contact tracers. So those are good jobs. So I don't know what they're doing. Um, it is uh, confusing to all of us what they're doing. And so, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to stay on top of this, keep pushing, keep pl- pl- prodding. Uh, what, 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 please share, what should organize, black organizations, what should black churches, what should we be doing uh, since we're being left out here on our own by this clueless administration? Well, I think the first thing you ought to do is um, band together um, and talk about what you can do to make sure you're all safe. I think you ought to be following the guidance that we already have, which is um, covering up your nose and mouth when you cough and sneeze, washing your hands, wearing a mask when you're out, but safely, because we know about this issue of masking while black. And as we begin to move back into work, we do it very, very carefully, very, very, very carefully. And that means that when you go back to work or school, we need to practice physical distancing from one another. We need to make sure that we protect one another and be respectful of one another, whether we're in the grocery store or we're on the bus, because too many of us are public facing in our jobs. And we've already seen, like everything else, this disease kills more people of color at a faster rate than it does with everybody else. Indeed, uh, Dr. Benjamin, we appreciate it. We're going to keep, uh, again, keep pushing this. And at the end of the day, we got to keep focusing on us because if, if, if we don't focus on us, clearly nobody else will. Oh, absolutely. And I know the NAACP is looking at this very carefully. Um, and I would just encourage people, you know, you can go to, the, to, to our website, the American Public Health Association at APHA.org. We have some information. But the Center for Disease Control and Prevention is still the nation's prevention agency. We can trust them, and they have some very important guidance on their website that tells us what to do. I would encourage people to go there and use it. Dr. George Benjamin, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Roland, good to see you again. All right, folks, here's some of the testimony today from Rick Bright. That's a very difficult question to answer. I know that there are companies and and academic labs working very hard. Um, Normally, it takes up to 10 years to make a vaccine. We've, we've done it faster in emergency situations. But from uh, when we had starting material in the freezer for Ebola, but for a novel virus, it's, it's actually haven't been done yet that quickly. So a lot of optimism is swirling around a 12 to 18 month time frame. If everything goes perfectly, we've never seen everything go perfectly. My concern is if we rush too quickly and consider cutting out critical steps. We may not have a full assessment of the safety of that vaccine. So it's still going to take some time. I still think 12 to 18 months is an aggressive schedule. And I think it's going to take longer than that to do so. 12 to 18 months from now or 12 to 18 months from when this all started at the beginning of the year? It would be 12 to 18 months from when the particular manufacturers first received the material or information that they needed to start developing that vaccine. It's critical to note when we say 12 to 18 months, that doesn't mean for an FDA-approved vaccine. That means to have sufficient data and information on the safety and immunogenicity, if not efficacy, to be able to use on an emergency basis. And that is the consideration that we, are, we have in mind when we talk about an accelerated timeline. Thank you. Lord, Erica, the Republicans are not happy. Republicans are not happy. He testified. I'm so glad that he did, because this is another person that we see 
um, that was assigned to a federal, that was inside of a federal agency, that because he did not do the things and say what Trump felt like he needed to say, that he was in effect pushed out. And just so that the viewing audience knows, as he talks about, the first number that he talked about was 10 years, the 12 to 18 month period, that's not even FDA approved for the vaccine, that just as recently as today, Dr. Joseph Fair, uh, who works for NBC as a contributor, uh, was hospitalized with COVID. And he says that he believes the way that he contracted COVID, uh, he was on a plane. He said that there was not real social distancing, that he traveled to New Orleans uh, very recently, um, and that the plane was packed, that uh, the guidance about the middle aisle being taken out that was not uh, followed, and that he believes that he contracted COVID through his eyes. His eyes weren't protected. Again, people need to understand that this is a novel virus and that the, um, as Dr. Bright shared in his testimony, um, and other folks that you've had on this platform and in writings have talked about it is going to take real significant time. We're talking about experts who have battled Ebola in foreign countries um, who do have expertise in this area. And so though Republicans don't like it, it is good for uh, the audience. It is good for the body politic to understand this uh, because the negligence of this particular regime has now led to 85,000 deaths, uh, which lead, makes the USA leading in deaths uh, from the coronavirus today. Racy. Yeah, I mean, listening to Dr. Bright's testimony was alarming. I mean, he really basically kind of said that we're screwed and that Donald Trump and his administration has completely abdicated their responsibility to have a competent response. And what they're banking on, and, I, and I'm editorializing here, this isn't what Dr. Bright said, but what they're banking on is that people are going to be more concerned about getting to the bars. We saw the bar in Houston that was packed. Um, I've seen it at least on social media and other places than they are about the very, very um, rising, or very quickly rising death toll. I think people still have it um, it hasn't said into them that this virus is not any less dangerous than it was when this whole stay-at-home um, push started. It's not any less dangerous. It's not any less infectious. It's not any less deadly. We've made no advancements whatsoever in the treatment. We're not any closer to the vaccine. And I even saw a survey saying 25% or more people won't even take a vaccine once it's available. This is something that's going to fundamentally shift our way of life. And people are still going about it like business as normal. And that's where the Republicans are unfortunately winning the messaging war on it because people would rather believe uh, a fairy tale than believe that they're going to have to radically adjust the way that they go about their daily life. Greg. Roland, this is, a, this is a critical point you're raising now. The country, of course, is aware of uh, Dr. Bright's testimony today. The Republicans uh, ran out of questioners. Every Republican questioner sounded like the complete idiot they are, defending themselves by attacking everybody from Barack Obama to imaginary creatures or whatever else they could come up with. So it's a critical point for that point, of course. And as we've heard, um, we heard Erica walk through it and then recede this, this is the importance of dealing with the fact that this the, the federal political apparatus simply doesn't exist. Um, in this venue, as we tie that to the story that you evoked, uh, our brother Mike Harriet over at The Root, uh, when he started talking about Romelia Hodges and the other three sisters who uh, kind of came together in West Virginia to stand in the face of this, you've now grasped something that our people need to pay strict attention to. 
this question of contact tracing. And so mm. when these sisters in West Virginia, Hodges, Danielle Walker, who's a delegate in the House of Delegates of West Virginia, Tiffany Samuels and Terry Berkeley got together, they forced the hand of Joe Manchin, the senator in West Virginia, of course, who then offers resources to get people tested. But then West Virginia stopped gathering data by race because now it's going to be an embarrassment. They had already shut down one of the only uh, hospitals in the area that would serve black people in that area of the state. But I'm raising this for this very specific uh, reason. Uh, you know, we're here in the D.C. area. I'm on something called the Black Coalition Against COVID. A bunch of D.C. folks are getting together trying to help our people understand that contact tracing is coming. You got to let people know who you've been in contact with. Those people are not going they're not going to share the information with other people. You know, our people have right reason to be paranoid about the government, ask you questions about where you've been. But at this juncture, the federal government is broken. The state governments are battling back. We saw what happened in Wisconsin today, for example, where the Supreme Court overruled the governor in another show of naked partisanship, including that judge who lost his election last month. And they say, open up the state. That's going to put you at risk, black people. So the black, I was on a call, a call yesterday with educators from around the country, Miami, Milwaukee, uh, other places, Baltimore. And they were saying that our people are facing sickness and death, as we know, in an unprecedented manner. But this contact tracing issue is real. And so when you see what happened in West Virginia, even as Dr. Bright is saying this thing is going to get worse, and Donald Trump continues to turn his head to try to have campaign rallies like at this factory today when he's over there playing around with testing equipment, our people need to understand that it doesn't take money to ask questions. So the churches, the Masonic organizations, as you always say, the fraternities and sororities, it's time for us now to get real about identifying who is sick, getting them resources, helping sequester them if we can, because until some more, we put pressure on people to get more resources, we are gonna be the ones that die, that die. And contact tracing, this issue you're raising today, contact tracing is something we should be talking about every day. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right, folks, got to go to a break. We'll be back with more Roland Martin Unfiltered. You want to check out Roland Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roland Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roland Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. All right, fam, to all Roland Martin VIPs, you are invited to the Laugh Experience taking place this Friday, May 15th at 6 p.m. East uh, Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern at seek.com. That's C-E-E-K.com. Join me and let's laugh with comedian D.O. Hughley, Chris Spencer, D.O. Hughley, Chris Spencer, Bodacious, Ryan Davis, and Clint Coley. It's a first-of-its-kind virtual comedy show on Seek.com. Seek.com, remember, y'all, is the black, uh, black website created by this sister. Created by this sister, y'all. You can watch it on your phone, your laptop, even in virtual reality. Now, I'll be there, and I hope you will be there uh, as well. Now, remember, we had Mary on the show, uh, of course, the creator of Seek. She also is the one who created her own uh, VR headset. So they have these available at Seek.com. And so it's, it's real simple. I was actually uh, testing this out a couple of nights ago. Actually, it's pretty cool. Uh, and so just go ahead and zoom out, Anthony. Uh, and so it's real simple. You take, you take your phone with
This here, now there's some, remember, there's some VR headsets where you can actually connect to the web and stuff along those lines. Uh, but this one here, what it allows for you to do is, so you actually have your, v, you go to the Seek app, and so you can pull it up here, right here on your phone. And then what you do is you place your phone right into the VR headset, cl close it up, and then you're able to, to then put this on. And so what's gonna happen is you put this VR headset on. Y'all, what's so cool about this is that it literally looks, it looks like you're in the room. So what's gonna happen is they'll be live, and so you can sit here and you can look all around, you can look at the ceiling all around. It's gonna be pretty cool. The first time ever, again, a virtual reality comedy showcase. That's taking place uh, this Friday. And so that's what it looks like once you're once you're inside. You get to be able to look around uh, on the inside of this room. It's pretty cool. Uh, and so you can just do, you can do this again. It's created by a sister, uh, this this white, this this device uh, and the site as well. She also, she also created these 360 degree sound headphones. Y'all, these are boss. Okay. Bluetooth, as well as you could actually plug in. The Bluetooth creates the whole 360 degree sound. Uh, and so it's a great for gaming as well. And so if you do, uh, if you do use these, uh, there is a promo code that you could use with a promo code up. I think we do. If y'all don't have the graphic, y'all should have the graphic folks. So if not, y'all need to take care of that. Uh, and, and so I'm gonna give you the promo code. So you'll go ahead and write this down. The promo code, this is the headset right here. These are the headphones uh, right here. Uh, you don't need, you don't have to watch the uh, virtual comedy uh, showcase with your headphones. You can watch it right here on your phone. Uh, it's not a problem, uh, but it does give you a whole different experience when you're watching it in virtual reality. And so uh, what I want you guys to do is if you want, uh, if you want to get these uh, headphones, get these, get this headset here, uh, I want you, there's a promo code that you can enter in uh, to be able to do so. And so let me pull that promo code up. Uh, and uh, it's been, like I say, I've, I've been having way too much fun uh, with, with this whole deal here uh, with these with, with these headsets. And go, these, this is this is called the world's first 4D 360 degree audio headphones. Uh, and of course, this is the mobile VR headset. And so that's what uh, you have here. Uh, they have a special code for our followers here at uh, Roland Martin Unfiltered. Uh, and so we're gonna pull, we're gonna pull that up. And uh, where is it? I thought we had it here. And so uh, we had all these different emails back and forth. And so I'm trying to find it. Uh, promo code. All right, this is what you use. You, to buy the headset, to buy the headphones, go to seek.com, C-E-E-K.com, and use RMVIP2020. RMVIP2020. And so you're going to get a discount. All of you who watch the show, you're going to get a discount if you buy these headphones VR. Y'all, we support African Americans uh, who, uh, who are in the tech space, who have created their own companies, and that's why we do what we do. Uh, and, and, this, and the thing, Greg, I, I kept telling people, you know, when we launched this here, the reality is that without platforms like ours, you wouldn't know about these African-Americans uh, who are creating tech. Now, who, I, mean, I mean, look, who are, this sister built and designed her own headphone, her own VR headset. And so I can just keep telling people, look, the networks are only going to cover these people when they blow up. Mm -hmm. Roland, I tell you, brother, and I know that uh, because, you know, uh, 
Reese was was on that show that night, and as was Erica. And I know we were all blown away. You know, and I'll just say this. I mean, this is Roland Martin unfiltered. If this were a white man, Mm. 22-year-old white man or some Harvard dropout like Mark Zuckerberg, uh, we would not only know her name and her company, she would probably have already been made multi-billion dollar offers to capitalize her and go forth, man. But this sister right here, tapping into the long arc of black intellectual work. In fact, the first symbol we have in world history of an intellectual uh, is a black woman named Sashet. She, in the ancient Egyptian tradition, and many I've been to Egypt now almost a dozen times, when you see her in the temples, it's a picture of her in a leopard dress, and she's counting. She is the symbol of everything that can be counted, everything that can be recorded and observed. They, she get, they give her credit for architecture, for astronomy, everything. This sister is a daughter of Sashet. If she were a white boy, she would be all over everything. And we are now facing, finally, what um, Naomi Klein wrote a piece in The Guardian the other day called... She called it the Screen New Deal, meaning what? All these corporations, education, for example, Google and all these folks, uh, healthcare, all these, they now think that this pandemic is going to give them the opportunity to do what they've been trying to do for the last 20 years, which is move almost everything they can of human activity online. We're going to need some of our people not only in that conversation, but shaping that conversation so that we don't end up a bunch of zombies programmed to somebody else's agenda. This is this is extremely important what you're doing right now. Well, we got some other people going to be having on the show, uh, Erica, uh, who have created platforms. And so our whole goal is to certainly uh, have them on the show, partner with them uh, in certain terms of what we do. And so, yeah, when you use that code, so let me explain to y'all, when you use that code to buy this headset or the headphones, a portion of that's coming back to the show. That's what we do it. And so we always talk about recirculating dollars and black people supporting black people. And I told y'all, Anthony, give me a wide shot. I told y'all, I told y'all how we roll. This is set, give me no wide shot. Give me a wide shot. Switch to that camera, switch to that camera. Don't, don't give me one, switch to these cameras. Give me a wide shot on these cameras here. Keep that one on me. Uh, so I told y'all, uh, this desk, this set was built by an African-American TV set designer. Yes. That's what we do. Uh, when we talk about, uh, when we talk about, again, in terms of what we do, uh, the lighting system we have in here, a black lighting designer. And we're actually gonna do, uh, once we uh, get, get, get more money, about another $4,000, I'm gonna bring him in, we're gonna completely do all the lights in here. And then, I with the brother on the show, uh, Figures Wireless. Uh, these are not his television, they just sent me two of their TVs, 55 inch television, as a brother, that brother Freddie Figures out of uh, Florida. Not only does he, does he do his own cell phones, and this is one of the cell phones, he also, he also makes his own television, manufactures his own televisions uh, as well. And so he sent me a couple, we're testing those. And so just understand, we practice what we preach here at Roller Martin Unfiltered, and that is supporting black-owned businesses. Erica, go ahead. Yeah, and as something I was admonishing people uh, earlier today was to support Roller Martin Unfiltered for those very reasons that you lined up. Where else are you going to see yourself on a platform like this? It's nowhere else. And just thinking about uh, when we all had uh, the opportunity to speak with Mary a couple of weeks ago, I believe it was now, one of the questions that Reese asked, which I thought was really impactful and really kind of like widened the conversation, was that she talked about noticing that the price point for these uh, particular devices were made affordable. And so you're talking about 
4K, $4,000 just to be able to do something additional to the set. We have a buying power of about $1.3 trillion. The check should be cut. Support going to platforms like Roland Martin Unfiltered, where that platform then extends to expose us to ourselves so that we're able to see that, listen, we've been doing this, as Dr. Carr has pointed out so eloquently. We live in the future. We are the originals. To be able to see ourselves in this way, to understand the power that we have is going to take what you have said time and time again, along with the connecting the dots, that we have to absolutely fund our own freedoms so that we don't just become a digital participant in elevating white supremacy as well. All right, folks. And I think there's an issue with YouTube. Looks like that site has gone down. All of a sudden, I looked, uh, and so uh, they have some issues there. But I think that we're still live uh, on uh, Facebook, and I'm looking at some of the other platforms. So, all right, let's continue with our show, folks. The U.S. response to COVID-19 has been reckless and uncoordinated. Congress is trying to do their part. The House is likely going to present another uh, coronavirus relief bill tomorrow, but the Poor People's Campaign uh, COVID-19 Health Justice Advisory Committee says, you know what? It does not have uh, what it all needs to have. Sherelle Barber, senior advisor and coordinator for the committee, joins us right now. Sherelle, I got a, I got a text from your dad, Reverend Dr. William J. Barber. He said this bill is unacceptable. Why? Um, there are a couple of reasons. Um, so um, we've taken a look at it. And again, I would just say that we haven't done a deep, deep, deep dive of it. But there are a couple of things that are notable. For example, um, there's still only a one-time direct payment in this bill. Um, and we know that this pandemic is going to be long-lasting. And so, you know, this kind of still this piecemeal um, um, protections for those who are losing their jobs, the nearly 35 uh, million individuals who filed for unemployment you know, these just one-time direct payments aren't enough. We need to guarantee uh, reoccurring payments during this time. Um, it's also not clear, and again, we need to look at this more closely, um, whether we're adequately um, um, taking care of the homeless population, undocumented workers, um, folks in prisons. Are, are they getting the testing and the treatment that they need in order for this um, uh, pandemic not to spread in those places? Um, and we're also um, concerned about the um, health care access during this time, again, the, during a pandemic, people need access to free testing and free treatment. Um, this, the bill does seem to um, uh, address testing and treatment. However, it does not call for an expansion of Medicaid. Um, and again, this is so critical because so many folks already in the U.S. were underinsured or uninsured. Um, and so not to expand Medicaid during this time really is going to disproportionately impact the poor. And you know that's going to disproportionately impact our communities. All right. And so what more do you want to see in this bill? Uh, there are a lot of other progressives are not happy at all saying that the Democrats mm -hmm. are giving up too much to Republicans. Right. Well, OK, I just want to also just put this in context. If you think about the fact that this pandemic the World Health Organization put uh, declared the pandemic um, on March 11, 2020. 
we are nearly two months beyond that point, and we still haven't really focused on, again, the most marginalized populations. And we're seeing that those populations, black, Blacks, um, poor folks, are being disproportionately impacted. So I want to say that first, and also say that the, the, the bill that they are putting forth now, you know, some of those provisions should have been the first thing we did, but we gave trillions to corporations. Um, again, what we are missing is a focus on the most marginalized communities. Um, again, those income protections that are needed. There are people who were hurting before this crisis. And the fact that we can only come up with a one-time payment um, when folks were you know, in debt before this crisis, were already having to make ends meet before this crisis, it's still not enough. Um, we, you know, we have to talk about the moratorium provisions um, and not just the moratorium where they are going to have to pay for you know, the, the, the debt accumulation at a later date, but there needs to be a complete cancellation of the debt. Um, you know, based, you know, based if they're not able to pay uh, rent in this moment, you know, paying four times that in you know in a few months or even in six months is still going to be prohibitive for most um, folks in this country. And so again, we've got to think about what are the ways we are taking care and protecting the most vulnerable populations, um, particularly uh, communities of color, poor communities that were in crisis before this crisis. Questions from our panel. We'll start with Erica. Yeah, so um, thank you so much for joining. My question to you is, have you seen um, with uh, these uh, this layout, have you seen more broader support, support from um, ally groups um, and from folks on the Hill to ensure that, because thinking about um, the brown and the black folks that do mm-hmm. engine uh, hospitality, travel, mm-hmm. uh, service mm-hmm. jobs. Have you seen mm-hmm. more broad support from um, groups that ally and, and from folks on the Hill as well? In ter- and more support for, I'm, I'm not clear of your question. For the act. For the acts that you're, you've laid out for the asset. Yeah, so coalitions. Yeah, definitely. So folks have, you know, really, you know, come together to push Congress to move forward on this, right? And so we can't, again, we can't take care of this pandemic unless we take care of it for everyone, including service workers. So there seems to be pushes and coalition building around these issues. The question is, will Congress deliver on the needs of, you know, folks that you've mentioned, or other essential workers in this moment, um, who are literally putting their lives on the line um, during this pandemic. And so um, the hope is that that pushing will Congress do what they need to by the workers who are, again, most exposed but least protected in this moment. Uh, let's see here. Greg. Uh, thank you, Roland. And thank you, Dr. Barber, for all your work, um, really. I mean, your ongoing work. Um, you know, I was listening to some educators on a call the other day uh, in different parts, including Philly, there I got in long mm-hmm. roots in Philadelphia, and they were talking about. And you cover some, you cover this, but I really want to ask you again in the context of what they were talking about. A lot of food and shelter insecurity for our people, uh, concern about rent, concern about all those things, and then, particularly out of the education we were talking to out of Miami, the fear among the immigrant populations to even come forward for any type of service for fear the federal government is going to drop the hammer on them and they'll end up, some of them perhaps, deported. Um, exactly. How should we be thinking about addressing 
the most vulnerable in, in the immigrant population and, 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 and putting a floor under those who are really literally worried that they might miss, uh, miss a rent payment and look, look up and be outside. No, no, that's so, and that's such a critical point that you're making. Um, you know, we, um, many of my colleagues believe that the, um, especially among not only undocumented um, immigrants, but even documented immigrants, that we are severely um, undercounting uh, the number of cases in those populations. Um, and so we know that there's uh, not, you know, there hasn't been the, the right amount of testing and treatment for blacks, but these populations are, are under surveillance, have been under surveillance, um, and are at risk of, like you said, being deported. So we need to be pushing for, as we're, if we're going to collect information um, from them, if we're going to, if they're going to access health care, that, you know, they're completely protected so they can get the care they need, they can get the testing, they can get the treatment um, at, without fear of, like you said, being deported. We need to absolutely being, be uh, taking care of this. Again, another point I want to make is that the extent to which we don't address the issue among any of these populations, undocumented populations, in our racially segregated communities, among essential workers, means we don't deal with the pandemic at all, that we actually help to enhance the spread of the virus within the whole population. So again, this piecemeal approach um, by the federal government is actually making the pandemic um, spread even more in our communities. And the fact that we don't just nip it in the bud with the kind of bold legislation that we need means we don't take care of this pandemic at all. And it's, it's, it's detrimental to our communities and it's leading to more cases and more lives lost. Reese. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Barber, for your work on this. Um, I read through the um, the the the, um, the PDF that you guys are distributing. One thing I noticed is that some of the the asks really aren't necessarily things that will require more funding from the government. In fact, when we talk about um, detention centers, whether it's prisons or immigrant detention centers, those are the kinds of things that the government can actually work on releasing uh, certain populations. Um, but there doesn't seem to be as big of a push. Instead, you have rich people like Paul Manafort that are getting these prison releases, these early prison releases. What do you think can be done, at least on the side where this is more of a policy decision mm -hmm. that pushes the administration mm -hmm. rather than something that's attached to funding that the House needs right. to push through? Right. I mean, I think, again, we, there are so many advocates who are working on this. One of the researchers that we have on this committee, uh, Dr. Zenzi Bailey, does work on incarceration and health. Um, and they have written extensively on how you can actually um, put policies in place to do what they call compassionate release. Um, literally, people who are, you know, right now in jail because maybe they have, you know, there's a fine they didn't pay or, you know, they're waiting trial, but it's not, a, you know, non, uh, uh, um, an offense that, you know, that they can be released for there, you know, and, I, and so there are ways, um, again, to collectively raise our voices to, you know, to say that these kinds of policies need to be put in place. And again, we think about prison populations as being isolated, but they're not. They're workers within these uh, these prisons that then go back to certain communities. So again, you're not only, you're putting, you know, you know um, prisoners are literally sitting in prisons, um, you know, some of them waiting, you know, for death because of the unsanitary work uh, conditions in prisons, because of, you know, the, the limited ability to quote unquote isolate, um, but also the workers in those, um, the, those prisons um, are also at risk. And so again, we do do need to be pushing uh, for um, and not 
politicizing this issue um, because it literally is a matter of life and death for those who are in prison right now and those affiliated with the, that population. All right, then. We certainly appreciate it. Hopefully, they'll take a lot of that to, uh, to heart. We'll see what happens. Thank you. All right. Going to a break. We come back. We're going to be talking about schools. What are they doing to keep our kids safe when it comes to coronavirus? Plus, this is a big deal. Black man in Oklahoma. White folks blocking this brother from leaving. Because they said, how dare you be on this property? Wait till y'all see this video. Roland Martin Unfiltered back in a moment. You want to support Roller Martin Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real as Roller Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roller Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. There are things we expect for schools, math, science, arts, history, but we don't expect them to find ways to ensure students have safe places to live or food to eat. In these uncertain times, there are schools who are doing just that. Joining me now is Benison Njaki, Director of Academics at Brooklyn Laboratory School, of course, uh, in Brooklyn, New York, and we'll be joined in a moment by Mika Mekawoma, Science Department Chair and Career Development Instructor at Da Vinci Rise High School in Los Angeles. All right, first, uh, Benison, I'll go to you. Uh, and that is, I, I'm, I'm gonna find in a second, that was this video that went around showing how we are so impacted at buff, by buffets uh, due to coronavirus. Now, of course, we all know in school, you got lunch lines, you got kids who are eating in cafeterias. And so what, are y'all, what have y'all been doing to keep the kids yeah, so uh, just we started off with, you know, the closure, just thinking about the highest needs, you know, in terms of safety, um, just socio-emotional wellness. And so one of the first things we did was really begin a conversation with families. And so what that looked like is we reached out and we've been reaching out for the past eight weeks to families and we're simply asking, how can we be helpful and what are your highest needs? Um, we've started a fund as a school. Um, it is the Brooklyn Laboratory Charter School Emergency Family Support Fund, and families can request and ask for anything they need, not just academics. Um, and over the past few weeks, we've been lucky enough to be able to support with groceries, with medical needs, um, and also with housing. So we've sort of shifted our role and responsibility as a school to only deliver instruction to really become a partner around getting families those essential, essential needs through this pandemic. Um, and, and look, people are concerned. That was a topic yesterday uh, in the hearing uh, when Senator Rand Paul was like, gotta get our kids back in school. And Fauci was like, wait a minute, hold up. Look, yeah. there's so much we still don't know about this. Yeah, and I mean, to, to that point, you know, one of the biggest areas that this pandemic has highlighted is that, you know, school closures led to 124,000 K through institutions closing. And when you think about that number, it actually drills down to um, five, seven and a half million children with special needs, right? And so these needs sometimes literally look like six to seven different adults. That helps a scholar from home to school and back. And so not knowing the sort of ways in which um, kids can continue to get infected and then the ways it can, it can show up in the classroom. I mean, we work with kids, right? We serve grades six through 12. So we have the itty bitty babies all the way to 
children who are going to college in a few months. So we really have to like step back and not be so quick to say things are ready to go back um, as they were. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm clear based on just children, families. I'm in Brooklyn right now, and, you know, you sort of hear the ambulances going back and forth all day and how that actually affects learning. We just have to be incredibly cautious to not um, re-injure the sort of trauma that kids are facing through this pandemic. Here was a video that really went viral that showed... <laughs> Uh, what what they, what they were doing in some schools in China? I would love yeah. to get I would love to get your thoughts to see if y'all might have to implement this. All right, folks, so go to my iPad. Watch this. Yeah. Um, oh, hold on one second. Hold on. Right. Hold on. That, bitch, that's a whole lot. <laughs> Listen, uh, Rowan, like, I I'll say this much, right? When I watch those videos, um, it, it sort of raises, you know, concerns that we share as a school community. You know, we're in Brooklyn, New York. And so that just legitimately means that we have to address this differently. Based on the children we serve, we have children in wheelchairs that are coming to school. What does that entry process look like, right? Um, and also, we're working and we're in spaces that are co-shared, right? So it's not a matter of just the spray down. But we also have to think about children who, through this process, have seen family members, you know, be carried out. They've seen those masks and have now attached a very different experience to that. And you're asking those children to put those masks on and go into schools. Um, and so from a safety, trauma, socio-emotional well-being, um, I see the video, you know, and I acknowledge that I see how that's working in that context. But for us, we really have to be here in New York City, a little more intentional about not just doing it because others are doing it, but really being responsive to the sort of CDC guidance that, are, that, that has been out. And then also listening very closely to what our families are saying to us about what they're going to need to be able to say, yes, I can send my child to your institution and to your school again. Uh, Greg and Reese. Yes. Listen, brother, much respect for, uh, for you. I mean, uh, it appears that the schools are really becoming, in many ways, first responders around the country with the homework packets, with food, with everything people need. Um, let me ask you, given the fact that it may very well be the case that uh, we don't go back to school, certainly not maybe in the city where you are and in the People's Republic of Brooklyn specifically in the fall, how are you all thinking about continuing once folks have stabilized, and of course that's an ongoing process, but continuing the education of the children, particularly when we have uh, challenges of access to wireless or even uh, you know laptops or, or tablets and the homework packets? Are you concerned about, at some point, the children continuing to develop educationally? And how, how, how are you beginning to think about addressing it long term. Yeah, so I think that in terms of going back and addressing uh, the learning, um, 
we have to sort of understand that the learning is now unfinished, you know? And so when anytime learning is unfinished, you have to not just pick up from where things are. You have to investigate and interrogate what that loss is and how we can re-engage the scholar. Um, so it's going to be a very, very slow process that is informed by sort of the information and data we're getting from children about what they need. Um, we have to listen very closely and pay attention to sort of the trend lines nationally around how kids feel entering that institution. I'll be first to tell you, it's not going to be a we're returning back in the summer or in the fall. It's going to be a slow sort of incremental approach um, and sort of like gauging what we're getting back um, as a process. Appreciate uh, you, Reese, then Erica. Hi, um, I, you, you mentioned about, you know, slowly reengaging things. I've seen some people suggest that perhaps the children should be kept back a year or, you know, like repeat the same grade. Is that something that you think sounds appropriate or do you think that that could lead to, you know, issues with kids feeling like it's some sort of deficiency or failure on their part if they have to, quote unquote, repeat the same grade? I would argue that it's incredibly dangerous to take that approach of holding children back, right? Um, this was an unplanned event. Um, and the idea that, you know, because kids have been out of school, they haven't been learning, is absolutely, it's not true, right? We know that kids are always learning. But also, you know, what we've also discovered through this process is that um, the pandemic has sort of highlighted the level of inequity that happens, right? So we surveyed families and we said, do you need a computer? And folks were like, yes, some said they didn't have it. So we have to provide those access points. Once you provide those access points, now you have to think about, is there a strong um, internet access to be able to do the work we're asking for? Um, now that you provide that, you have to add another layer that says, okay, what happens if a technology piece of the uh, device breaks down, right? So when you have those sort of issues, uh, we cannot take a punitive approach that says, well, let's do this year over, uh, especially when the impact on children um, uh, is, 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 is lasting, right? So it's almost one of those things where we cannot punish the children who've always had the least by saying now you have to do three times more of the work because you weren't able to access a certain, a certain level of um, engagement on the platform. So I will say any sort of conversation around holding children back because of the pandemic and because of the learning is, is, is absolutely not, um, doesn't serve our most vulnerable populations. What do you say to a family that has three to four children who um, haven't been in school and are just now being able to access uh, individual educational plan uh, provisions, right? They're service providers. And so it's, it's very complex um, and, and it, it cannot be that we say, all right, this happened and go back and do it again. That's, that's not uh, effective. Erica? Yeah, hi, Benefin. Thank you for the work that you're doing. I wanted to ask you, as a person that's from the rural South, um, understanding that New York, um, unfortunately, represents a quarter of the COVID fatalities, is there any collaboration that you all are doing outside of New York with other educational organizations, school, to help um, specifically uh, Black and brown communities continue to progress through COVID um, along this educational track? Yes. Um, so one of the first things we started to do beyond the sort of provisions we're doing in New York is thinking nationally, how do we 
begin a conversation that supports learners who are most vulnerable. So more specifically, uh, we launched a, an alliance. It's called the Educating All Learners. So if you go to educatingalllearners.org, and it's a national uh, platform where we're literally providing resources to say that if you have children who have these learning needs, these are resources you can access. We have experts on the site. You can actually ask questions, get feedback. We're providing trainings, and we're we're really trying to completely provide a completely free platform that anybody can access. Anyone can get on there. Parents can get on there. And our goal with that is to understand that, yes, we're hit heavily in New York, but it's a national and global emergency, and we cannot sort of, you know, hoard resources as they come up. We've been learning from things that folks are doing all over the country in Chicago. Um, we've been working with places in Connecticut and Florida. So we're really thinking through what is the best thinking around how we support black and brown children. We know that, um, especially when it comes to education, equity is one of those things that it just weighs a little heavier if, if, if you show up the way I look, right? Um, and so we have to be incredibly intentional about um, that platform being a gateway. Um, and it's a partnership not just with Brooklyn Lab, it's with Innovate EDU. Uh, we've partnered with, with the National Organization for uh, Special Education. And so we're really seeking out um, solutions and saying, if you have something that works, please share that resources and we'll connect you to the highest needs as we see them. But we're definitely starting the solution with saying, how can we serve those who have the least before the pandemic? Because now they have so much further to go. All right. Benison, we appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. Good luck. Rolling frat 06. All right, another alpha man up in here. See, I... You, you felt that? Yeah, man. Y'all, I ain't even... See, y'all, I ain't even know these things. This is like the third day in a row. Greg, I keep telling the rest of these little youth groups, they can't touch us. Now, Come on, man. Know, hey, the boys used to live in Brooklyn. Of course the early, educator is an alpha. Yeah, That's man. what I'm talking about, brother. Go ahead. <laughs> I appreciate you, man. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks a bunch. All right, then, y'all. Of course, uh, big deal on Saturday. Matter of fact, y'all can roll a video. Y'all should have it, right? Thank you. High schools may be closed. Graduation ceremonies may be canceled. But we won't let that stop us. Join us on May 16th as we all come together. Say goodbye to the end of an era and welcome a new beginning with you at the center. It's time for America to celebrate and honor you, the high school class of 2020. Saturday, 8 p.m., President Barack Obama will, will, give, will be giving the commencement speech to all the 2020 high school graduates across the country. As you saw in the video, LeBron James and others. Uh, folks, it's going to be happening. It's going to be a great thing. Uh, Kevin Hart, Zendaya, Pharrell Williams, the Jones Brothers, and more will be participating. Brought to you by XQ America. And we'll be live streaming. It will be on a number of uh, networks and streaming, including right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. All right. Y'all know what time it is. <laughs> no charcoal girls are alive. I'm white. I got you, Carl. Illegally selling water with our permit on my property. Whoa! Hey! You don't live here. I'm uncomfortable. <sighs> Y'all, today's viral video shows a delivery driver being held against his wheel in an Oklahoma City area neighborhood took place on Monday, blocked in by a man who identified himself 
as the Homeowners Association president. Travis Miller, a home appliance and furniture delivery driver, captured the encounter on his Facebook Live while driving through the neighborhood of Ashford Hills. Trying to leave, and I got super neighborhood, the super neighbor over here blocking me in. So I'm going live. This is what I'm dealing with right now. This is what I'm dealing with. This is who I'm dealing with. Napoleon, move out the way. My name's David Stewart. I don't care what your name is. Get out the way. I don't care. Move out the way, sir. You picked the wrong day. Move out the way. Can you tell him to hang up and move so I can leave? Thank you. I'm going, but you're in my I'm way. Not so then move out the way then. I'm trying to leave. Why? What do you mean, why? why None your business? Yeah, it is. Of course it is. Oh, did I deliver it to your house? Because it's, it's none of your business, that's why. You're asking questions. You don't need to ask questions. All you need to do is have your buddy move his car so I can leave and go about my business. How do I make a wrong turn into a gated neighborhood? I need to have a gate code in order to get in, right? That's common sense, right? So if I had a gate, if I'm in here, I had a gate code, right? That's none of your business, yet again. It sure as hell is it. I'm not in the wrong. I don't know who this is. Uh, what's your name? Uh-huh. Uh, just so you know, more than you two guys live on this street, too. And you're not the only ones with gated with goat codes. I'm not warning nobody. I did not. No, I did not. And that's the reason why I'm recording too. So just in case. I don't understand English. Apparently you don't. I'm in the wrong. Show me your badge then. Reese, by all means, take it away. Let me explain something to the white folks watching the show. If you happen to be watching the show, 
You are not our overseers. We don't answer to you. We are not slaves anymore. We don't have to tell you a goddamn thing about where we're going. Mind your fucking business. If you're so scared, if you're so concerned, then why don't you keep it moving? What they did in there was false imprisonment. And I hope that Travis Miller files a civil suit, files a civil suit against those two gentlemen, as well as the Homeowners Association, because they had absolutely no right to do what they did. You don't know anything. You think your ability to just ask somebody a question trumps their ability to move freely? No. Like I said, we're not slaves anymore. Get the hell out of the way. Now, if the situation had escalated even further, then it would have been on, been on Travis Miller. It would have been on the black guy. I'm glad that he recorded it. And these men, you know, it's, it's just what we see every day, all the day. People harassing us, making it seem like we don't belong where we belong. There's no reason that this man who's just trying to do his job is, is, is going to go into this gated community and do anything nefarious. The only thing nefarious is what we saw those two white men doing to this black man. All right, Erica. Yeah, this is what white people walk in. They walk in believing that they have the ability to stop, question, um, and assert a fall authority. To be quite honest with you, they should get the hell out of this country because they are the first illegal trespassers. And so, to Reese's point, I'm very glad that this brother did, in fact, record it. But I'm also glad that he stood his ground in what he said in adjudicating that in order for him to be able to access this neighborhood, that he would need a gate code and that it was none of their damn business why he was there. And so, again, this is another glimpse of what we're seeing, why Black folks, listen, acquiescence to whiteness does not preclude you from this type of activity, from this type of aggression. Get your shit together, because these folks and their president, they mean business. But we have, like that brother, also got to show them that we mean business to. Greg, how you gonna ask me where I'm going when I'm leaving? I, dude, he got a big-ass truck. It's clear. He delivering something like, oh, well, where you been? Like he said, did I deliver something to your house? Why your ass asking? <laughs> Look, my, I tip my captain, brother Travis Miller, for maintaining his humanity and for us for maintaining it as well. This is the fundamental contradiction in black life in this settler state. When we see ourselves as human, we ask questions like the one you just asked. It's common sense when you're a human being. But the fundamental contradiction is that this state, as Erica has said, invaded by people who were illegal from their first presence, who then brought us here in the largest illegal forced migration in human history, this state does not see us as human. This is, you know, it, it's kind of, we can laugh about it now because the brothers survived, but let's be very clear. These two Oklahoma paddle rollers are the Oklahoma equivalent of the McMichael's father and son in Georgia. The, the concept of the paddle roller comes out of the 19th century, the so-called slave patrols. These are, to quote one African who gave his testimony after enslavement was over during Reconstruction, he said, the paddle rollers, the slave patrols, served a function for black people that the police served for white people. In other words, the, the job of the paddle roller is to restrict black movement, to control black bodies. Well, what we see is that in the United States of America, the function of the paddle roller and the function of the police are pretty much the same. So any random white person is deputized with police powers when it comes to policing black bodies, which leads me to this, finally. What we saw Travis Miller do 
is a manual in some ways for how you almost have to approach this. Number one, you keep your cool. Number two, you, uh, you if you can, record and stream. Live stream has become very important. Uh, number three, and you see later he called the police. Now you got to be a little tactical about this because, again, these random white people are patterollers, which means what? The police show up, depending on who the cop is, they look at these white men like deputy police. So now you got to be careful. But finally, you then, when you finally uh, escape the situation, because we all know from growing up, they would tell us when you have an encounter with the police and including little deputy wannabe police like this, your, your job is to escape that encounter with your life. You don't get no argument right there, which is why I tip my cap. But finally, when you escape, you document it, and then you do what you need to do so that we're talking about it now, which means they are on alert that we're not just going to take that L. And I found it fascinating that one of those guys called his employer later and said, take down the Facebook Live post. Because again, of course, when you're a white man, you can call another white man on a black person and say, hey, I still want some punishment, even though I was in the wrong to begin with. Hold on, who called? The employer. I mean, the guy, one of the guys out there, I think Stuart. He one of the two white guys. Yeah. Call the 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 the, the, the brother's employer, employer and say y'all tell him to take it down. Yes, sir. Because that's the job of Patterol. Now, now help me out. Well, I'm trying to understand. So they were trying to tell him this is a private driveway. Why you here? But you gonna ask me to take down a video on my damn page? That's the patteroller mentality, brother. Every white person can be a deputy police when it comes to a black woman or man. Look. And brother, you notice <laughs> that, You're one of them rogue um, black people. You do what you want. You see, Reese, and, and, and you know, you're one of them rogue Negroes. Y'all do what y'all want. And you know, y'all better not roll up on Erica. You're gonna find ball, out something. I'm telling y'all, I'm, 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 I'm letting let y'all know right <laughs> now. When he got his punk ass out of his car, I would have put that shit in reverse, drove my ass on that grass. Yes, sir. I would have put that truck on that grass and yeah. drove around and then shot their ass the finger driving off. That's what I would have right. done. Yes, sir. If, you, if, first of all, the video, let me help everybody at home. Y'all, <laughs> the live stream went 40 plus minutes. Hmm. Yeah. This wow. wasn't no five minute conversation. Y'all, we edited that. That means that they sat in that truck dealing with these fools for almost 45 minutes. I'm telling y'all, there would have been some track, track marks in that damn grass. <laughs> right. From but my then, truck. But then, Roland, would you have a situation like Ahmaud Arbery, where they chased him down in a truck? And so right. even that, you still have to be careful. So I do, I do applaud Travis Miller for the way he conducted himself. But also, I don't know if you guys noticed, when the, they made the comment, oh, is that a warning? See, that's how they start to set you up and try to, you know, portray the situation differently, which is why it's so important to record these encounters because next thing you know, oh, he was threatening me and they're on the phone with the police establishing their pretext, like the McMichaels did, for what they're going to do and be, you know, deputized in the slave patrol and that mentality to just go down and, and mess with black people. Oh, hey, 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 I just need, I just need all... Listen, <laughs> any of y'all white folks pull this on rolling? I just want y'all to understand. <laughs> Anthony, g give me a shot. Y'all see this bag right here? <laughs> this bag right here is always with me. I'm just letting y'all ass know. I got four phones. Four. <laughs> four. iPhone <laughs> Pro Max. iPhone Pro Max.
Google Pixel 4, and Figures Wireless. I'm letting y'all ass know. I'ma have you streaming on every platform you see here. I'm just letting you know. Y'all, look, and, and, and I'm gonna be shooting horizontal the whole time so I can feel the whole screen up when your ass, and look, I'm just letting you roll now. And see, look, I'm okay. telling hey, I'm gonna I'm, I'm be Steven Spielberg, Spike Lee on your ass if I'm shooting. I'm just letting you know. So everybody black, Please, I want y'all to keep streaming. I want y'all to keep filming these fools, and we gonna keep exposing the segment. I had somebody email me. I had one. What's that fool? Uh, yeah, y'all. What's that fool? Deontay, a little black Republican. I be just just destroying his ass on the show, uh, cause he ain't <laughs> never prepared. Uh, and so he gonna try to tweet me one talk one day. How would you feel if somebody uh, white had a segment called "Crazy Ass Black People"? I'm like, yo, that's just called Fox News, right? Mm. You know, what? right. It was called Diamond and Silk until about a month ago. So, bottom line is this here, okay? If white people stop doing crazy stuff, and look, there's some good white folk. They not on, the, on that segment. But right. them crazy-ass fools, I'm going to keep showing it every time, and that's going to be the sit-up, crazy-ass white people. All right, y'all. <laughs> uh, we got to go. Before we go, here are the folks who have joined our Bring the Funk fan club and listen to y'all. Okay, now look, some of y'all have hit me saying, why can't I get a shout-out? Because, you know, but I ain't give $50. Well, that's that's why you get a personal shout-out. So people who've joined the fan club, $50 or more, get a personal shout-out. Look, I just that's how I got to do it, okay? So here's Otto Bamberg, Amy Lewis, Arnetta Henderson, Benjamin Cicero. Panel, y'all stay right there. Claude Brown, Demario Green, Denise Young, Dion Smith, Donald Rubin Realtors, Eunice, Eunice Haynes, Joy Hilton, Catherine Daniels, Kenneth Johnson, Linda Givens, Melba Pete, Myra Campbell, Nelson, IG, uh, IGN, Patrick Outlaw, Phyllis Allison, Quana Gourmet, Educational Cooking Media, uh, let's see, Richard Bird, Russell Celestine, Sandra Turner, Sarah uh, Snyder, Sakithia Austin, Sonia, she got her last name, uh, Stanley Lewis, Sylvia Terry, and Wayne Lockett. Those are the folks who've joined our Bring the Funk fan club, 50 bucks or more. Folks, your dollars go to support what we do. Give right here. Cash out, dollar sign, RM Unfiltered. PayPal, paypal.me forward slash RMart Unfiltered. Graphic, y'all. Graphic. Come on, y'all. Too slow. Graphic. Y'all got to work with me. Graphic. Pull it up. Uh, then, of course, you can also pull it up. Let's go. And then, of course, thank you. Come on now. And then, of course, y'all, what address? Wrong graphic. It's wrong graphic. I do this every day. I need y'all to give some more money so I can replace some people in the control room. All right, see? That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get the graphic straight. All right, address, 1625 K Street, Northwest Suite 400, Washington, D.C., 2006. Make it out to New Vision Media, NU Vision Media. Your dollars make it possible for us to do what we do, so we appreciate all of you. And so... Uh, we're, of course, going to have uh, the folks uh, who get $50 or more. I'll read their names off. That's how I do it. You get a personal shout-out, and then we'll roll the credit tomorrow of all our donors. More than 6,000 people have joined our Bring the Funk fan club. Our goal is to get 20000 by the end of the year. 20,000 people giving 50 bucks or more completely funds our show. It's about being independent and giving you the news that you need. Hey, go to my iPad real quick. I want to see what they got up. Y'all, the Prince Estate. Okay, let me pull up. The Prince Estate is doing something major. The Prince Estate is showing. Uh, uh, are y'all, uh, uh, Reese, you a Prince fan? Oh, absolutely. Okay, uh, Greg, uh, Prince fan? 
Roland, I saw your Twitter and I already hit my people in Minneapolis. They are fired up. So y'all, here's the deal. Here's the deal, okay? Uh, so what's happening is the Prince Estate, what they're doing is uh, they are showing, they're doing, they're doing a fundraiser coronavirus. They are showing this 1985 concert from Prince. Mm. It's streaming at 8 p.m. Eastern today through 11.59 p.m. on Sunday. <clears throat> on Sunday, 100% of the proceeds are going to COVID-19 relief. Now, I was just uh, pulling it up. Let's see uh, what they got going on. So if you go to the page, this is what you're seeing right now. Anthony, pull it up. Y'all, this is the concert right now. They've never streamed it before. So this is from 1985. So y'all go to uh, the Prince YouTube channel. Check it out between right now and 11.59 p.m. on Sunday. Hope y'all enjoy. Prince was a bad brother. He was, he, look, he loved what I did. I found out after he died how much he, huge fan he was. And so, man, uh, look, uh, we certainly miss him. He's been gone four years. Purple Rain came out in 1984, right? Yeah, so this is like, oh, so. so in, watch that concert, So brother. in this concert, in this concert, Ooh. I just had the story. He's singing all hits. It's like 16 or 20 songs he's singing. Y'all. It was on VHS. It disappeared. Folks have not seen this in two decades. You can watch it right now on YouTube, now on Sunday. And so shout out to the Prince of State for certainly appreciating that, for putting that out there. Uh, Reese, thanks a bunch. Erica, thanks a bunch. Greg, thanks a bunch. One Folks, thing. One uh, thing. Which one? Roland. Yeah. Oh, I want to say shout out to Patrick Outlaw. You shouted him out. That's my bonus dad, so I appreciate his support. That's your bonus dad? Yeah, my stepdad. My, my mom's husband. Oh, I'm about to say, See? what the hell is that? Black people in these play Don't daddies, and that's no, why I was like, bonus daddy. He's married to my mother. He's married to my mother. Oh, so I call all right. Oh, okay, all right. Well, we appreciate his support, but yeah. I'm, so she, she threw me out, Greg, because, see, here's the deal. All right, y'all know how I roll. I got one mama, one daddy. I don't call nobody else mom and daddy. Oh, okay. You might be in the minority on that. <laughs> no, nah, bro. I got a uh, whole lot of uh, uh, Matter of fact, my sister's, hub, my sister's husband was saying, well, mom and dad, I thought he was talking about his parents. I was like, oh, he's like, oh, you talking about mine? Oh, right. <laughs> I said, oh, I said, oh, my bad. I said, I'm sorry. That's Mr. and Mrs. Martin. I don't know who, you know, I, I'm trying to. No, I don't do that. I don't do, I, I ain't called my wife's uh, mama, mama. I was like, what's her name? That's Miss Hood. I, and that, I got one mama. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. First of all, you just you heard me say my sister's husband. That's true. I, I don't say brother-in-law. That's true. Wow. That's cold. No, it's not. No, I'm just being. I ain't never. I don't say sister-in-law. Who that? That's my so brother. That's my brother's Hood, wife. Reverend Hood Martin called your parents. I don't know what she called him. <laughs> okay. I don't know what she called him. Now I've heard What's her say. I've, I've heard her say mom and dad looked at her like. Oh. Oh, no, I'm just, I've always been, I don't look, hey, 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 how I roll. That's why she threw me, she's like, bonus, Dad. I was like, it's like a quiz show? I stood, I stood, <laughs> Reese. It's your bonus, Dad. And, and he's supporting Roller Martin, I feel. Oh, I no appreciate question. it. All right, so, uh, yeah. so, so, right. so Patrick Outlaw. That's a hell of a yeah. last name. It's a great last name. Yes. Yeah, that's a hell My of a mom last... is Yvette Outlaw. Shout out to her, too. Oh, that, yes. that's Bonnie and Clyde right there. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to see y'all tomorrow. Holla! Uh
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.